With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Just like every other kid in the hood. And last time this boy cried, he woke up one morning and realized he was a fatherless child. Daddy never there, showed him no love, learned to emulate thugs, bust slugs with the intent to kill. Ran these streets hide in the cable bill. Paranoid cause these streets are stressing him. His model ain't nobody getting the best of him. Round these parts, drug wars make the gun spark. Triggers ain't got no heart. Women are hoes, kids in the way God. That's just the word in the Bible. They pray for death on their Bibles. Out here, nobody cares. You can smell genocide in the air from the corners. The kids gave birth to crackheads and kicking heads. They were misled by the father's old heads. They learned to cop reek, work off the reekers. They went to war with the dreads. Better off dead is what this old lady said. She spoke truth to power. His darkest hour, they closed his casket at 19. Rest of these t-shirts, laced his whole team. His mother crying, dressed in black. Searched the church, bust the back. Even on this day, a daddy lacks. You're a self-exiled monarch from your castle and home. Making you a king without a throne. Making your son a prince without a crown. Look at him now. He lived and died a fatherless child. And this must be supported karma. Like Sonia Sanchez being my father's baby mama. So you see my dad, thank you for me. But give me this gift indirectly. Top five, dead alive, wordsmith, and hip-hop, R&B, or poetry. So you think you'll outright me, forget it. And you can take that to heart like God said. Maybe when I'm going to give me credit. But right now, I'm the boy you want that boy. I'm like Langston Hughes on steroids. The lines were shot, my little girl, little boy. Better father than my daddy ever was. And poetry was a drug every day. I'd be taking it in the head and blowing the flag. And seeping out my soul to you. Sit next to me, might catch a contact. But I wish for it was a female. Try to dive in face first. Put my mouth where she did first. Grab my hair and slap on the backside and ask her, whose poetry is this? She say it's yours, daddy. And nine months later, she'll make me happy. Give me two miracles. I mean, one wordplay to other lyrical. Just so I can walk up to the people and say, did you see my lyrical wordplay? Never had a daddy, but I always had poetry. So I gotta thank God for giving me this literary style. And maybe this makes us even. For me growing up, a fatherless child. Welcome everyone to the flip side today. Hello everyone, welcome to the flip side. 
Yep, we're back. <laughs> we're back. And today, ladies and gentlemen, first of all, we want to thank um, our producer, Ms. Jacqueline Taylor-Adams, with the Master Griot uh, Radio and Project. We want to thank her as well before we get started today. Um, today we have, this evening, our uh, guest with us would be Brother Yumi Odom. And Brother Yumi Odom is with the Fracture Huey Institute here in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. But before we get to Brother Yumi, I just want to first of, uh, speak on a lot of the violence that's going on in Philadelphia and abroad with our young men and in our communities. Just here in Philadelphia, we have had so many shootings, and we had a family that was basically assassinated through one of our mom-and-pop stores. Um, was a very um, touching and emotional uh, moment for us here in the community and city of Philadelphia, a mother, um, a father, a husband, and a sister was shot, and the children witnessed this by robbers. So there's something definitely going on within our communities where though our young men feel the need to just come in and take things and shoot people and kill them for obviously no apparent reason, and we want to send out our prayers to those um, families that have lost their loved ones to this violence, and also that God would somehow help us to heal and to help us to bring an end to all this um, crime and, and, and despair that we're experiencing in our communities. And I just wanted to take a moment to give up our condolences to the families. Um, not just here in Philadelphia and abroad, because there is so much going on. Now, young men, young brothers, we have school starts tomorrow for you guys at your school. So before we get Brother Yumi on me, because he's going to talk about education, <laughs> and you're holding your fingers down, thumbs down, we want to just take a moment and just talk about you, um, you brothers, because Brother Yumi will be on in about five minutes. He had to uh, get himself back to his destination. So we're waiting for him to get here. We want to speak to you all about school. What are your expectations um, with school this year? Because you're entering into the fifth grade, am I correct? Ed? Yes. Yes? What are your, some of your expectations going into the new school year? What are you anticipating? What are you excited about tomorrow? One, I'm hoping that it won't be a grass year when we don't have to have a lot of homework on the first week of school, like we did last year. And if we do, I just want to get it done. I'm happy to see all my friends and classmates and just happy to be back to school. Well, not that. Happy to be back in school. Happy to be back in school. That's great. What about you, What are some of your expectations for school year? Um... I'm looking to get all A's on my report card. All right. And, and I'm excited to see my friends again and my new teacher. Mm-hmm. And um, my dad is excited about one thing. What's that? We, we, um, we have to stay, we have to stay until 4 o'clock. You have to stay in school now until 4 o'clock, so you're not pretty excited about that? No. <laughs> Who is? Don't you think that that would be a good thing, though, being in school just a little longer? It's only an hour. At least we get to do our homework. Yeah. Yeah, that's, so that's a good thing. Okay, so you got like 30 minutes extra. So that's a good thing for you. 
Don't look at it as a bad thing. Okay. Well, great. So we're really anticipating school this year. We're anticipating our A's and A-pluses behind that. So we're ex excited, and I know Grandmom is excited about the school year because they're doing some wonderful things in your school. And I do want to give out a shout-out to Global Leadership Academy, who I think is just, they are doing some phenomenal things within the school and with the young people there. Now we want to go to the mix to see if we have Brother Yumi on the phone. Is Brother I Yumi am on the line. Okay, welcome I'm to here. the flip side. Brother Yumi? Yes, thank you for inviting me. Hello, well, Brother Yumi. Welcome to the flip side. Good evening, thank you. You're welcome. What we want to do first, audience, I listen to the audience, as you all know, we try to give a little information um, about our guests that, that we're having on the flip side. And this show is basically we're going to talk about it because at 8.30 we're going to open up the line for everyone to come on and call in with your comments and questions to Brother Yumi or our young men because this is a school night. School has started, and the young brothers got to be off by 9 o'clock. So we want to start with they're going to start their um, reading of the bio of Brother Yumi, and then we're going to go immediately into the question um, session with Brother Yumi. But before we do that, I want you all to get your pens and pencils ready to take down the number. The number for you to call in would be area code 646-716-7994. That's 646-716-7994. Brother Z, you want to start? You want to take it away? Mr. Mr. Yumi Autumn, founder of Fracture Huey Institute, has been a multi-disciplinary educator, scientist, and researcher for over 25 years and has served as an educational strategist and consultant in Philadelphia since 1988. He is also the founder of several innovative and effective community-based initiatives. initiatives, among them the Fracture Huey Rights of Passage, Rights for Young Men, which is the longest-running public ROP in initiative in Philadelphia. The latter initiative is responsible for establishing an East Coast Black Age Economic Convention. Philadelphia in May 2002. The ECBACC is the only urban community-based comic book convention that focuses on com combat combating digital and historical liter illiteracy through the use of comic books and comic book art. His presentations and lectures cover a broad range of topics that aim to demonstrate the importance of independent and critical thought, personal and academic excellence, and the in interconnect interconnectedness of all subjects. Great. Can you take your time? You can get it great. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, Brother Z. Now we have just read the phenomenal bio of Brother Yumi. Now, Brother Z, I'm turning it over to the young men, Brother Yumi, and they're going to be interviewing you this evening, so they're going to take it away. I'm ready. <laughs> Go ahead. 
Hello, Glover Yumi. My first question is, what is the Fracture Huey Institute? Okay, the Freytor Heru Institute is a nonprofit organization that I started in 1986 in Brooklyn, where I'm from. And what we typically do is offer classes to the community, ranging from Kiswahili, Spanish, um, 501c3, which is, you know, setting up your own nonprofit organization. We have math classes. We have the Rites of Passage programs for youth, for parents, and for facilitators, the whole host of classes offered to the community. And at this point, we have about 50 that we can offer, and we're offering about 15 this semester for the fall 2011. And our whole focus is on community-based education. Great. My next question is, what is your active role as the chairman of the State Correctional Institution Educational Institute Curriculum Project? Okay, that's a, that's a mouthful. The SCI EICP that you just mentioned as a program I started in 1990, um, we initially started that at Greaterford Prison because we had a lot of community members who were lifers at Greaterford, and I was invited to come do a program. And so I was doing a program from 1990 up until about 2007, and I continue doing that now through a correspondence course. And my basic role is to provide information to mostly lifers, but to anybody who's at Raderford through, you know, packages that we send in. We do a basic correspondence course, uh, probably in, ends up being monthly. After these 20-something years, um, I'm just doing it on a monthly basis. When I first started, we were going in weekly, but that really was, it was, it, it was taxing. I, I had a little bit of support but I didn't have enough support to continue doing it straight through because it actually requires some money for the postage, for the copying, and those kinds of things. And most of this was done out of pocket or was funded by our board members. And my next question is, at what year did you start the Institute Curriculum Project? Okay, that the talking about is just the prison piece, or you mean for the entire institute? Yes. For the, the seminars and the knowledge and part. For the seminars and knowledge and practice part. Okay, that's the piece that we do through the prison system. So although I started at Greaterford in 1990, um, I actually do the correspondence piece to about 20 or so prisons in Pennsylvania. So Greaterford was number one. Um, that was our main focus because there were a lot of students from the institute who were actually incarcerated. And also at the time I was a Temple grad student and I volunteered at a program called PASEP and some of the students from PASEP were incarcerated. So I connected those two programs and that's what I'm still doing up until this day. And that was 1990 up to 2007, but the correspondence piece, the writing to uh, our brothers who are incarcerated still continues. Thank you. Thank you. Now, my first question to you, Brother Umi, is... Yumi. Brother Yumi is... 
What made you start the SCIEICP? Okay, that's 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 okay. still our prison program, but that's also linked to the Fraser Hero Institute. And what really got me interested in community-based work was my first summer job. I had a job when I was 14 years old in Brooklyn, New York, working for the Flatbush Development Corporation. And that gave me a chance to see what a, a basic nonprofit CBC could do in a large community. And so I've been on that track ever since. And I came to Philadelphia in 1988 to go to grad school. So I simply brought those things with me when I came. And then being introduced to some of the men who were incarcerated, some who were ex-offenders who really wanted to have some kind of connection to the prisons, just reinforced what I was doing through the Institute. My next question is, what made you want to help in educational skills? Okay, repeat that. I said, my next question is, what made you want to help in educational skills? What made me want to help? I'm not getting the your educational last part. skills. I'm not understanding your question. What he's what he's asking you is that you are in the education arena, so and you teach. Um, as he was reading your bio and information on your website, it was speaking of your dis different educational programs and the skills that you teach. So I guess he's asking you what would make you want to get into the, the field of education and rendering that to members of our community. Okay, that that's a good question then. That's good. Um, well, education, of course, and I hate to be real cliche and say it's the key to life and those kinds of things, but it really is. And I want to go back to some of the statements you made at the beginning of the program uh, when I believe the first young man was talking about really not going back to school and not having a long day or something like that. But yeah. you really want to learn to see that differently because you want you want to be skilled. If you have to stay in school until 9 p.m., I mean, if you're not working, if you're not raising children, what else are you going to do, right? So you want to get skills for your own life. So it's not just about having fun, but you're going to find that when you attend school, when you actually do learn something, you're going to have more fun than anybody else because you'll be a skilled person. You'll be able to do things that other people are not able to do or that other people are being trained not to do. When you're offered education for free, when you have people in your family who support you, you should accept that, right? And so I happen to have had two grandparents, my, my, father, my father's parents who raised me and who really instilled in me this notion about going to school to do something. So it's not just about learning to read, write, and count, although that's part of it, but you want to be able to do something with your education that impacts not just yourself, which, of course, it should do first, but it should make you able to impact other people's lives. So once you get the real educational skills, and I don't just mean what they often teach in school or train in school, but if you're really able to begin to think about how you can make a difference in the world, that's really the start for you, and you're not too young to start right where you are. Um, you all might not have noticed, but there are the youth among you, that there used to be these ebony encyclopedias, and my grandparents had all the volumes of them. And my sisters and I used to read them when we were children from cover to cover. And so we knew that African-descended people 
did more than what we saw on television, that, that Africans were not just slaves. Right? The Africans came from civilizations, but African Americans contributed to the U.S. in ways that people still don't talk about. Came, you know, we approached the world differently because my grandparents exposed us to education. I know that's an earful. Yeah, that was, but it's a good earful. This is things that they need to hear, Brother Yumi. My next question is, what is the right of passage program, and why do you think the right of passage is important? Okay, thank you. That's a good question, too. And that's going to link to one of the earlier conversations that Sister Rashida mentioned about the violence that we're facing. And a lot of it is because, or most of it, because the family structure is so wrecked. The right to passage piece that I've been doing now going on 30 years, but it's been 23 years or so here in Philadelphia, really is about, you know, how do you restructure yourself first as a young man or a young woman to get back into a family? And so we've been doing that, and we have a public right to passage that's open to anybody who wants to come and actually sit in on it, and then it's also a private right of, right of passage, and then training for parents, grandparents and training for people that we're calling facilitators who might work with you. That would include school counselors, firefighters, police officers, doctors, lawyers, anybody who has some kind of contact with youth and want to make a positive impact on youth. The rights of passage piece, from our perspective, is really a way for young people to sort of acknowledge their own growth, but then also to have it acknowledged by the public. So if you have a father or mother who really doesn't understand the rights of the passage piece and you have an outside person come and do that for you, they begin to see you differently as a child coming into your, your manhood or womanhood through our presentations, how we do the rights of passage. Does age make a difference? Can you repeat that? In the rights of passage. Ask him again. Does age make a difference? In the rites of passage? Well, we go from 8 years old to 18 technically. So depending on the age, we tailor a program for that youth. And we've had people, that, as, we have young people, well, as young as 6 years old who've taken our program. I think what he was asking you, because we, men, um, we talked about this earlier, Brother Yumi, uh, me and the boys did, when he said, does age make a difference in the form of um, rites of passage, I think that he meant that age um, entailing, um, like, from boys to men, um, what is the real need for the right, rites of passage? Because I see here he has a question, does age make a difference in rites of passage and why? So I guess you're saying that in formatting with the age, compared to when you go through the rites of passage, um, what is the significance of having that starting at the age of 8 and even in the age of 18 to 21? Um, what significance would that rites of passage have or impact does it have on a young person's life? I think well, he means that. Let me see if I can actually address that if I'm clear on that. Um, because you can come to us really at any age and we'll tailor a program, we'll make a program that fits where you are. Um, typically, it's better if people start at an early age with their first rights 
We've had people who've come to us who have been 16 and received the first rites. Traditionally, um, the rites of passage happened several times in, in, in the lives of children and adults. So you can be six years old and have a particular right. You can be eight years old and have a particular right. But our focus has been to look at how African Americans need to use the rite of passage to reconnect with themselves and their culture. So it's not so much, we, we do 8 through 18, but you really could be any age. And the facilitator's training, which is for adults, is also a rite of passage for the adult to be able to work with our youth. So is that clear? Is that address what you were that, looking for? It was very clear. Was that clear for you, Diane? Yes, it was. Yeah, it was very clear. Okay. And my final question is, I know you have been doing this work for over 20 years. Why do you continue and do you really see a real change coming for us as young boys and men? Okay, I'm going to answer the last part first. Uh, I see a lot of change. I mean, not just in what we've been doing at the Institute, but you know, we have, there are other people in the city who are making a difference in the lives of our youth and our whole communities. Um, their organization is doing great things in Philadelphia, but the thing to remember is that there's always something against what we're doing. So you really have to persevere. Generally, 20 years, 25 years is like a time span where people decide to give up if they have not seen the results that they want. But, you know, making change is not going to happen overnight. This predicament that we're in, it took 500 years to get us into it. It's not going to take 25 years to get us out of it unless there's some kind of miracle that happens. So we're looking back, you know, 500 years in history that people carry around every single day, although they're not aware of it, right? The impact that slavery had on us, the impact that all that the um, Reconstruction had on us here in the U.S. is still with us. It's just that a lot of people don't recognize it. They think that because we're in 2011 that somehow the past has no impact on us. But if you talk to them, they're still impacted by the past. So you have to keep working and you have to have a perspective that sees past where you are and into where our grandchildren are going to be and their grandchildren. So a lot of people give up because they don't see change in their own lifetimes because the change is hard to make. Thank you, Brother Umi. Thank you. Brother Umi. And Thank once you. again, I want to um, open up. We want to open up the... Um, phone lines, Brother Yumi, because we're going to start receiving callers, and I want to repeat the number again. You can call in at area code 646-716-7994. That's 646-716-7994. Now we're going to take that second portion of the um, show, Brother Yumi, and we just wait for Jacqueline Taylor-Adams to let us know when there's a caller on the line, and then we go immediately to the caller. But I want to get into um, the mission of the um, Institute and um, what keeps you afloat for, to want to do this all these years within the community. And also, by being in the community with the educational and the concern of educating our community, what are some of the other programs that you extend? We spoke on doing the 501C for um, members of the community. 
um, we spoke on the rites of passage. What is the Human Race Studies certification course? Um, that's the course. Okay, you disappeared just a little bit. Are you still there? Yes, I'm still here. Okay. The Human Race Studies class is actually a training class I started in the early 90s. Um, at the time, there was this mad rush to pretend that racism had disappeared, almost like it is right now with um, Barack Obama as president of the U.S. People want to pretend that there's some post-racial or post-racist America. And we know that there isn't because they have never really addressed the issues of racism. So this class which is, is for certification, is a, is a way to train just a lay person, just any old person to be able to talk about what racism is and what it is not, so that when you're faced with it, you know what it is and that you don't get upset and you don't react the way that most people do. Um, when people think they experience racism, and oftentimes it, it really isn't racism, they react in a certain way and they get a certain response and then it's all gone but they never really address the issue. It's like when, you know, people in the U.S. sort of have African-Americans programmed to march and protest against things, and they'll simply wait you out because they know that the next time you won't be there. As you'll march, you'll have some, you know, some placards up, and you'll go in a few circles, and you'll go home, and you'll feel as if something has been done, but the issue has not ever been addressed to wait you out without ever addressing our concerns. That's right. Um, Brother Yumi, we have spoken um, um, a few times in reference to the education and the education system with our young people. And you do have a program that you know that I'm very much interested in, and that would be your mobile education piece. Can you tell the listening audience what is exactly that you do um, with the mobile education and how does that benefit um, or service those in the community? Well, our mobile education units are basically our same classes that we will bring to you. If you can't get to us and you have a location where you want the class, we can arrange to bring the class to you, whichever class that might be. So if you provide the space, we have the faculty, and our faculty is entirely volunteer. So we have people on our faculty, on our board, who are volunteering to actually support this community. And that's the whole world community. But, of course, most of us are African-American in this instance. So we're looking at the African-American community. But what we do is going to support the whole world. We're not just looking at us as a people, but everything that we have worked on, as we can see how people follow behind us in our trends, um, they follow behind us in our strategies for marching for human rights and civil rights around the world. Every single group has actually copied the African-American strategies for achieving, you know, humanity and citizenship. But we just have to be able to see that, that is, that's what that is. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> the boys, they... After a while, Brother Yumi and the audience have to understand, after a while, um, the young men, they're also into the black male achievement, and they're looking for answers for themselves. So when you don't hear them talking, it's not like they're not engaging or have anything to say, but they really like to start the questioning off and basically like my mom to go ahead and to continue, and they like to listen to absorb the knowledge. So as they get a little older, um, the interaction will be a little more 
um, entwined, even going further into the school year, because they are so anxious to absorb the information and knowledge that you have about education. Now, so can you give me their names again? Um, you have Zayin and you have Abdul. You said Zayin? Yes. Zayin and, and Abdul? Abdul? Okay, well, I mean, it, it, this, there's a lesson even in that, because all of this takes practice, right? You're hosting a radio show. That's a skill that you actually have to learn. Nobody's born hosting. So the more you do it, the better you're going to be at it so that you can multitask, you can listen, and you can talk, and you can do other things. You can actually produce the show. Um, you can work the equipment. Those are just skills that you get as you get older, right? Young man, can yeah. you hear me? Yeah. Right, that's practice. You are simply going, you're getting practice right now that you can use later in life. And this, what you're going through now, is also a rite of passage. It's just not formal in the same way that we would do it, but our notion is that if you make people aware of what they're doing, so while they're doing it, it's going to make some sense to you. You understand me? Yes, yes. Right. If you are aware that you are hosting a show like you are, Right, you're you're not puppets, right? You yeah. you want to host that show that's your own. You want to host the flip side, correct? Yeah, we do. Right. So as you're hosting it, you have to be aware that you are the host, and so you're going to acquire you're going to acquire you're going to get some skills while you're hosting, so that the more you do it, the easier it's going to become. And you can give Sister Rashida a break. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. That is beautiful. Well, what we want to do, Brother Yumi, we're going to take a quick break, and Jacqueline Taylor Adams is going to take us to a break for a moment, and then we're going to come back and we're going to have the lines open. And we want you to call the flip side. You can ask Brother Yumi, um, Odom, questions that you may want to ask him about education. Um, if you want to know something about education, I'm telling you right now, this is the brother that you definitely want to dialogue with because he's actually out here doing the work. I've been doing it for over 25 years. That's a mighty long time to have to be concerned about education and our African American community and the nation as a whole. So this brother is a phenomenal brother. I want you to call in to the flip side and let's talk about it. Jacqueline, can you please take us on a break? And we'll be back in two seconds. Grant us love filled with good intention. May we find peace in the midst of ascension. We know what they make us, though they try to break us. And say we love them, we love them. They told you to conquer much, take all, it's not too much. Claim your women, ask for blessings, take their bite and keep on tapping. Claim that dope, keep it pushing through the veins of hopeless people. Complain about life you're living instead of pain with the candle. Baby, the rest of you son, so, so not a choice is yours. What you wanna do? 
Um, what keeps you going on to do the work that you do? I mean, that mission statement, although it sounds really lofty, it's actually a really simple thing. And that's that, you know, people can be empowered when they're exposed to serious and true education. And that's how I can keep going on because I can see past all of the things that we're doing, those setbacks or seeming setbacks, all those things that might discourage people, you have to be able to see past that. Because if we go back into our own history, our own past, and just imagine how our ancestors lived just here in the U.S. and lived just like that now, but when it was so much more harsh and, you know, people were able to achieve so many things in worse conditions than we have right now. Can you imagine our youth being exposed to not being able to drink out of a water cooler and things that, that they imagine is just not being real? But the pathology behind that, that is all the same water coming out of a, of a pipe, and they simply pipe it into two separate places, and one says white and one says colored. Can you imagine the, the kind of... The kind of the way that our ancestors had to think about themselves to still achieve greatness, that what we're facing right now, although we can say they're obstacles, they're really nothing like what people have had to face. It's not like being lynched if you can read, write, and count. It's not like having to sneak around and pretend that you can't read, write, or count as if you're in the 1700s. So you have to be able to see past that. And those folks who actually had to endure all of that pathology that they faced, you know, being here in the U.S., they saw past that. They didn't have pie-in-the-sky dreams. They actually knew that they had a history before they came here. And they held on to that, and they actually envisioned themselves in places that the people who had them as captives thought that they would never be. So those things, you know, I, they, it drives me because I can see past all of this. I can see past all of the pettiness. I can see past all of the things that a lot of people are trapped in and trapped by. Right. Joe has a question for you, Brother Yim. Mm-hmm. What can we do to help in our education system as young boys and the community? Well, the one thing that you all can do is actually go to school. You know, make going to school something that people want to do. Because if it, 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 it's, it's not so much, unless, of course, what's happening in the school is a lot of nonsense, but if it, if it actually is about learning something, then go to school to learn it. Make your friends enjoy going to school. If there are after-school programs where you can learn a skill, go to the after-school program and learn that skill because the way that you actually combat the things that are trying to destroy you is to be skilled and to be better than what those things are. A lot of people, a lot of young men that we deal with say that they're resisting what's happening to them by not going to school. The way that you really resist is by going to school. You understand that? Yeah. When you drop out, you're not resisting anything. You're making it worse for you. 
when you make yourself qualified to be a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, a dentist, a firefighter, that's how you combat all of this evil. You don't combat it by joining the prison system. Right? Thank you, Brother Yumi. Excuse me? Thank you, Brother Yumi. You're welcome. My next question is, what can parents do? Parents. What can parents do? What can parents do to what? Okay. What can parents do to help in the education system and the education of their children? Well, they can take the other side of that. While you're going to school, they need to also be at the school to find out what's going on. And when they have a parents' night, the parents need to be at the school. I I raised two of my nieces here in Philadelphia, and when they had parents' night, I was there every night, or a friend of mine was there if I couldn't make it if I was teaching. But we would go, and there might be five or six parents in the whole school. And they went to Dunbar, and then the the youngest one went to Dobbins. And the same with that parent night. There'd be five or six parents in the whole school. So parents have a responsibility to make sure that, that, that their children are learning in school and also to find out what it is they're learning. I mean, it might sound like some very simple thing, but it's it's a lot of things that that's not happening in our families. Thank you, Brother Yumi. You're welcome. Brother Yumi. Yes. Do you see our public school system improving? I can repeat that. Do you see our public school system improving? Uh, only if folks do what I was just recommending. It's not going to improve by itself. The administrators cannot improve the school system because they're not in it. The teachers can't even do it because most of the time they're looking out for their own self-interest. The people who actually are subject to that system, they're the ones who have to ask for what they need. Otherwise, people are going to keep giving you what they think you need, but it has it's not what you need because for the most part, they haven't had education in the school system ever. Now, they've had training, they've had indoctrination, they've had all kinds of things, but very few people have been educated. Wow. Well, Brother Yumi, the young men, we're going to wrap it up, and we're going to keep you on the line because we have other questions that we take the last uh, 30 minutes of the, minutes of the show where the moderator, myself, and the guests, we uh, talk about it on a different level where it's to hopefully the intention is to put us as adults into action to mm-hmm. help and assist those who we can to make this world a better place. So we're going to let the young men say their last um, comments, statements, and thank yous, and then they're going to head up, up upstairs and go to bed. Go ahead. I, I like what you said today about the school, about schools and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. That you told us that only six. six parents went to a school conference. You didn't like that, did you? Mm. No. No. 
<laughs> the parents be more involved with yeah. their children. Yes, exactly right. What and you? thank you for telling us all that. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you. I'm proud that you were able to make it today. I'm, and I'm very proud that of all the things that you said. Pretty, and it's going to be locked in my mouth for the rest of my life. <laughs> and okay. Good night. And good night. Thank you. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, you have just listened to our host for the evening. They are sounding off. And they will be back next month because since school is starting, we're taking the flip side um, for the young men to come and chat with you just one day out of the the month instead of two. So you're going to be looking for them the same time next month in October on the flip side. Now, Jacqueline, we're going to open the lines up where we can get our callers to call in. We ask that you call in to the flip side and speak to Brother Yumi at 646-716-7994. Once again, that's 646-716-7994. Now, Brother Yumi, you and I are going to discuss a lot of things that we normally discuss um, when we're talking amongst ourselves. And there are some issues that we are really um, truly concerned about um, concerning the plight of our young brothers and sisters here in Philadelphia and abroad. And we know that education plays a key factor, a key part in the demise and what is going on with our, in, within our community today. Now, a lot of us confuse education with just being a mathematical or a, a ABC game. Mm-hmm. I want you to discuss, and this is going to be your time, to discuss with our listening audience some of the things that we discuss as far as education, that it goes beyond the numeric um, uh, uh, concept or just beyond the reading, that there's a hand-in-hand format for the success of educating our young brothers and sisters. Can you speak on that for me, please, Brother Yumi? That's sure I will. Thank you. And it goes beyond having a piece of paper that says that you are, because you don't need that paper literally. I mean, for the society, perhaps, yes. But for yourself as a person, you do not have to have a degree to be educated. And so a lot of people get caught up in the trappings of what they think is education, and then, of course, they go around in circles most of their lives. Now, the way that we talk about education in the rites of passage is we actually use a chalkboard, and we break the word to educate and education into its parts, into syllables. You can visualize this. And we'll just look at educate, E-D-U-C-A-T-E. That has basically three parts. If you remember your prefix and su- prefixes and suffixes, and this is for you all who are listening and the hosts, the A-T-E on the end of a word, eight, when it sounds like eight, it's going to make it a verb as in masticate, as in the word we're using, educate, liberate. It makes it a verb as a part of speech, so it's an action word, correct? Correct. The E at the beginning as a prefix means out of, as in erect, eject. In all of those words, it means something coming out of. The D-U-C, duck, or D-U-C-T, duck. 
means to guide or lead, and the word educate literally means to lead out of. The whole idea that the way that it works in the Western society is they do more indoctrination. They do more putting things in than taking, bringing things out. To educate really means to lead something out of you who is the, who is the student, right? The person who is the student has to have something led out of him or her, and what that thing is is basically knowledge. You have to be exposed to different kinds of stimuli, different kinds of, you know, information to be able to adapt to it. Follow me? I'm following you. Right? So when you're looking at people who are educated, they're really using information which is already theirs. It's not somebody else's information. And that's the piece that is going to liberate people when they talk about or feel that they're educated. Because when you're really educated, there's a sense of independence that you don't get when you're indoctrinated, when you think that a piece of paper means that you're smart, when you think that mimicking other people means that you're smart, when you think that looking like other people means that you're smart. So our whole focus on education is about what you get out of it, what comes out of you and as the educator, the one who does the educating, that person has to be able to bring out of you what is necessary. Now, that's beautiful. Now, since we're speaking on, and I'm glad that you brought those points up, and we, we talk about um, education, they, everyone assumes that you have to be um, educated. Uh, everything has to come from the book. One thing I want to speak about, um, here in my community, and I'm sure a lot of the listening audience have, some of you all may have experienced this, the form of illiteracy within our young people and the shame that they feel, whatever the reason is um, that this is going on in 2011, that we have um, young people that are unable to read or write, mm-hmm. and without that, they're there comes a, 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 a sense of lack of survival, of knowing how to survive. Like they say in the street, you go for any Joe Blow or anything. And trying to lend your assistance and to help these young people um, to get to a certain level of, of being able to pick up a book and, and to read and to educate themselves, um, I, I, I found that it's extremely hard because I get resistance from the parents. I have school teachers that are willing to come in and to help me tutor a lot of these young people. And they have, or in the ages of 17 and 18, and I work with a young lady who actually graduated from high school and still cannot read. Mm-hmm. So how do you combat situations like those where the school system are just pushing our young people out the parents are allowing them to be pushed out, and they can't even read or even be able to write their names. So now you cannot comprehend the other things that comes along with life. Can you comment so on that? One of the things that you'd have to do as a tutor or the teacher or the educator is while you're working with that student, you have to find something the student wants to read. Mm-hmm. You have to find something that the student is going to find attractive enough to look at. 
Um, and one thing that we didn't talk so much about, although one of the hosts mentioned it, was the Xbox, the comic book convention. Yeah. Because you can use comic books as a resource for literacy. And that's how we actually started the East Coast Black Age of Comic Convention, using comic books, the images, to get people interested in reading, even if it's just a little bit, because those images are going to draw some people more than others. When they see an image of an African superhero or, or even a historical figure that's in a comic book, that's going to be very different than actually going to a book where there's just words in it. So you have to find material that the student is going to want to read. So even if the student has low literacy, you can start with a book and just read a few words at a time. Because if the, if the person is, you know, above 15, 16, for the most part, they're relatively set. So you can't start from scratch. A lot of times when you're working with older people who said they want to go back to the beginning, you can't go back to the beginning when you're 45 or 50 years old. You're already at where you are. You can't go back and pretend that you don't know what you know. So you have to put what each of these students knows into perspective. The 17-year-old who might think that she is illiterate, she's illiterate in something. She wouldn't be alive this long if she was that illiterate. She, that means she knows some symbols, right? We, I've dealt with some truck drivers who were, quote, unquote, illiterate, but they knew sign literacy. They knew how to drive across the country, right? So there are different levels of literacy. It's not that no one's totally illiterate because they're interpreting things in their daily lives. You just have to be able to show them what those things are. I mean, there are people who carry newspapers around as camouflage but because they can't really read but they can interpret some of the symbols in the newspapers. So if you point to an article, they can probably summarize it, although by the images in it, but they have not read it. But that's a start. You have to be, you have to start with the student where the student is at whatever age that is, because unless you're dealing with an actual child, you can't go back through time and start from scratch. Now, Brother Yumi, you spoke on something else I was going to speak on about, and I'm glad you did touch that and you brought it all together because that's where my question was leading you to. Was the um, East Coast Black Age of Comics convention, and you usually hold that here in Philadelphia, is that correct? Right. That's held the third weekend in May every year. Um, We just celebrated our 10th anniversary this past May. And, and what are some of the things that go on at the um, uh, convention? What, what someone was wanted to come to the convention, what would they expect to see or what could they um, engage in at the convention? And what is the ages that would be appropriate for the convention? Um, ch- children through seniors. We have a children's corner or a kid's corner where there are free comic books. There's face, paint, face painting. There are free uh, movie screenings. There are... Um, new video productions, their comic books for sale. There's a whole host of things really for the entire family. Um, One thing that separates our convention is that, you know, all those African-American based, everybody's invited to it, but all of our vendors are people who create their own products. 
So for those who have been to a, a other comic book conventions, most of those conventions, the people who are selling books are selling other people's books. They're store vendors who are selling other artists, other creators' comic books. The people who come to us, 99.9% of them have their own books. They're selling their own works. And, of course, that's a rarity. And the comic book industry, of course, is a multi-million dollar or even now a billion dollar industry. It's actually stretched into films and graphic novels, a host of things that people are doing. And African Americans actually need to get involved in that. And, in fact, we have, we have a class coming up in October that trains men and women to become professionals in the comic book industry. And if someone was interested, and I may be interested in that, Brother Hume, someone be interested <laughs> in <laughs> you think I'm playing, somebody be interested in getting involved, how would they be able to contact you for the um, uh, East Coast Black Age of Comics Convention, as well as with any other programs that you're doing and they may want to get involved with. Can you give them the contact information, your website, email address, any information that they need where you're located at? Okay, what I can do is give for your listeners is my direct mobile phone line, and that's 908-334-1793, 908-334-1793. Now, as it regards Xbox or the comic book convention, you can go or email me at Y-U-M-Y, that's Yumi, dot O-D-O-M, Odom, at E-C-D-A-C-C, that's ekbach.com. So it's Yumi, dot Odom, at ekbach.com. That's the East Coast Black Age of Comics Convention. And I check my email every single day, so within a day or two, there will be a response, and I check my voicemail every day. Beautiful. And we want to, I want to um, tell the listening audience that you definitely want to get involved. I plan on being involved with Brother Yumi this year a little more than I have in the past. You definitely want to get involved with this brother. He is doing some phenomenal work. And um, for someone to do this work for over 25 years, it is truly a blessing to us as the, the receivers on the receiving end from the community and for you to be so engaged and, and to be honest with you, love our African-American community um, is a great thing. And, Brother Yumi, we want, because I know that a lot of the callers sometimes, they like to just listen and listen, and at the last minute they call in. <laughs> because when you have someone on speaking, such as yourself, that is um, sharing the knowledge, and knowledge is wealth, um, to me, is a beautiful thing. So what I want you to do right now, Brother Yumi, if there's anything that you feel that our listening audience should um should know or do you want to share with them? If there's um, anything that you want to share as far as you're concerned about education, what can we do as a whole, as a community, as a nation? How can we make things better? Or how can we get more involved with you? Whatever's on your mind right now, Brother Yumi, 
this is what we normally take this time for, the next five or seven minutes that we give to our um, guests for them to recap and to tell us everything that is that you want us to know about you and the work that you're doing. Brother Yumi, right now, this floor and the flip side is yours. Thank you. And what I actually would like to just do is challenge people who are listening or even those who are going to listen to this later um, as a broadcast is to actually do something. Join an organization. Nobody needs to make up another single organization. There are enough organizations for you to join or not join, but then you can still do something. The reason we're in the spot that we're in as a nation and also as a planet is because there are so many people who are sitting back allowing other people to do. I I give this story when I talk to the Rites of Passage youth, and this is a recent story. I ran into an older woman. She's in her 70s. And at this point, we think that this might be an elder, but we make a distinction between elders and old heads and seniors and all for a reason. Because this woman is in her 70s, and she says to me that black people need a leader. And for me, that was just weird. How are you 70 years old, and you're still talking about black people needing a leader? So where are you? Yeah, what have you been that. doing for 70 years? Hmm. So the thing is, most people have been indoctrinated to look for other people to do things, and that's why things are not being done. Because all of those cliches that even um, President Obama has put out about you being the change or his committee or whomever is putting out his slogans for him, those things are really real. You have to be the change agent. No one's going to be able to do something better than you can do it, especially if you have a vision for it, because you're going to always find something that you would say should have been done, but, of course, since you didn't do it, it couldn't have been done because no one's going to have the same vision that you have. So I challenge folks who are listening to this to actually do something to make the change they say they want to see. But the issue is, as I mentioned earlier, about just being able to last 25, 30 years as an organization, mm-hmm. is that that's like the time limit for people in general. If they do something for 20 years, they feel as if they've done enough, and then they just give up and they stop. But this process that we're in, this took 500 years. This didn't just happen. So when you put those things into context, those are the things that really should be empowering. And if you're also around people who are doing something, that's also what really keeps me energized as well. I'm I'm not around people doing nothing. The people that I'm connected to are doing something. So I don't feel like it's just me. And so people really have to surround themselves others who are going to do some work. You want to surround yourself with people who are of like mind so that you can actually do something. And so that's my little, my catchphrase. You have to do whatever it is that you say you want to see. Only you can do it. And and as a, as a, a community as a whole in general, and I don't want our listeners to think that I'm, you know, just stuck on the African-American community, but that's what I am. 
and that's where I am. So I speak on what I know, and I try to help make better what I know and in the conditions in which I live and the conditions in which my grandchildren and my family, extended family, um, lives. And I say that to say that with the conditions and the situations that different plights that we're facing in our community, recessions, the war, all these things, the even the election of African-American president, all those affects the African-American community. And some sometimes it doesn't affect us, and we don't take it as a positive. And I hear a, a lot of folks talk about the president of the United States, and we they, they go on a negative, and you hear some positive as well. My thing is the brother, he went out and he did something. He did something, he tries to make a difference. How can we assist and trying to make that difference as a whole in our community, by not just by joining organizations? What if you're in a position where you can't join an organization? What can you do in your actual community as an individual? And this is something that you can speak about because this is something that you did as an individual. How can an individual person that's poor, living in a poverty community, neighborhood, um, maybe have incarcerated sons that are affected by the violence and the crime that are affecting our communities, mm-hmm. how can this individual, um, in their best efforts, when they have nothing, how can they help to make our community a little better place to live? And going back to our ancestors, and how can we take that of which they went through and what they're taught and what they're trying to descend to us, how can we perceive that and in turn utilize that in 2011 and moving forward past this? Well, there's a whole lot in what you just said. And one thing for people who might feel as if they're outside of the scope of doing something, they can volunteer somewhere. There's something everybody can do, right? There's somebody who will take you on as a volunteer. And then even the teacher mentioned about, you know, African-Americans and, you know, looking at us focusing on our communities, if you help the people who are literally on the bottom, everybody else gets helped. If you look at how European-American women and, quote, unquote, white women have got to where they are, they got there behind African-American people protesting for their own human rights and their own civil rights. So when people talk about affirmative action, you have to go to the government statistics where African-American people, although people think of African-Americans as the one ones who receive it, have received the least as it regards affirmative action. The majority population, according to federal statistics, are European-American, quote-unquote, white women, who have benefited far beyond any other group in the U.S. Put a black face on it, right? But once you help the people who are on the bottom rung, and that's the African-American population, quote-unquote black people, everybody else gets help. So, So why is it that, you know, I hear a lot, and, you know, I read a lot, and I go on different sites, and I hear what different people are saying, Republicans and some of them are not even Republicans. Um, they have a problem of, of really helping the, um, as they say, the ones that don't want to help themselves. And I have a problem with people when they speak on that in reference to the African-American community 
and the feeling from what I've been reading lately since President Obama has been in, in office, the sentiment is, is that we as African Americans or we as, as they classify us as poor people, we do not want to help ourselves. And I know that's not true, and you know that's not true. But a lot of us African Americans, from hearing that so much, we begin to believe the things that we hear. So how do we go about not mimicking what we hear and what well, we see? It's going to go back to some of the earlier discussions that you know there's there's a double standard, and if people understand the context the history that we're in, and put that into some context, then you don't get frustrated when you hear people say things that are, are really off because you understand why they're saying it, because they're misinformed. They're the ones who are ignorant, who are unaware of the, the historical context that we're in. What people don't want to help themselves? The issue is, historically, that African Americans have been put into a place where they couldn't help themselves. And when they try to help themselves, like, quote-unquote, Black Wall Street, like all these different places, literally the whole town was attacked and destroyed, right? But African Americans have tried to have independent financial sources, including the Garvey movement. What happened to that? So it's not that people don't want to help themselves. When they do try, it seems like everybody is arrayed and allied against them because it's a threat to have this particular population see itself as real, live human beings. A lot of people that we deal with see themselves not even as human. They're like fifth-class citizens. They're right behind people's pets. And too many of them actually actually accept, accept that. They'll say, you know, blame it on somebody else, but it's up to you to stand up for yourself. You don't want to become a citizen behind pets. Pets have more rights than you. Hmm. You know, Brother Yumi, you are another brother <laughs> here of very few of the brothers that you know. I'm I'm really particular about who I fool with, and you're one of the few brothers who I do commend and I give have the utmost respect for, and I commend you on the work that you do, and I know the struggle and the trials that you go through in trying to do the work. And I can honestly say that you are truly a, a true humanitarian and a true soldier and warrior for our community and our young people. And I have seen you in action in the school. I have seen you do your rites of passage. And um, I am just um, blown away by the work that you do and I truly wish that I could assist more, but you know that I do so much. But I am just so grateful for you. And I want everyone to go by and, 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 and call Brother Yumi and see what he has going on at the Institute and get involved in the educational piece that he has going on. And if you need his assistance, um, please do not hesitate to call him because I know for a fact that Brother would definitely, he would definitely um, assist you and try to get, if he's unable to assist you, he would definitely bring those on that can. One more thing I want to cover, Brother Yumi, I want to cover, because I know that you do the um, nonprofit um, in the 501C, and there's a lot going on about these um, nonprofit organizations, um, not just in Philadelphia, but abroad. And I think some of us get wrapped up in this nonprofit piece and the money 
the potential funds that may come down to nonprofits and people not realizing that nonprofits has become like a business now. You know, you would think you look at some of the organizations and you wonder, is it for profit or non profit? Um, and dealing with your your institute, what are some of what are the some of the things that you do to with your non profit um program? Is it is it enabling others to start up a non profit and do you give them instructions on how to stay afloat once you have established your non profit status? Right, the class that we have offered over the last few years, and it'll come back with us, um, come back to us in the spring of 2012, does all of that. It covers, you know, the, how to get the nonprofit status, the 501c3 status, um, how to maintain the organization, how to select the board, um, all of those things that you're going to need to be successful. But at the same time, you have to think about whether you actually need to have a 501c3 status. We have that status but we only achieved it in 2008 or 9. For the first 20 or so years, we were just a community-based organization, and we did as much then, actually we did more then than we're doing now. The one reason the 501c3 was desired was to be able to apply for grants. Beyond that, it doesn't serve a purpose. So unless you now, want to... A lot of people don't know that. Right. Well, unless you want to do you know, get grants for your program, we've been fortunate that since 1986, our board members and our friends have paid for every single thing we have done. We have never missed rent. We have never missed paying for people if we had special guests because we have always had friends of the Institute who actually know what we're doing is on the right track. So we got this 501c3 status in hopes of actually getting grants, but because there's so much behind the, the process that you have to do, it's simply easier to rely on ourselves to do what we have to do. And I like that you said that, rely on yourselves. Um, and that seems, for me, looking at the nonprofit um, organizations that I do know, and, I, and they were more active and more involved and more engaged before they actually got that 501C. And I think that sometimes a lot of us um, lose sight of the actual work. We focus so much on the income and the money. We think that we have to have the money to start up administrating fees, and they want a million dollars for that, a million dollars to do the things we already do. And I see that we get complacent and we get so wrapped up into the give me money until we forget well, the actual work. Well, part of it is you have to, if you're going to do that, you have to get someone who's designated as a fundraiser, the person who's going to do the grant writing. Because the people who are doing the work should not also be doing that work because it's going to be a distraction. And we've seen in so many cases where people really get thrown off track because they'll spend so much time writing grants and writing of things that they actually aren't even fulfilling their own missions. True. Well, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> you heard it here on the flip side with our phenomenal guest, Brother Yumi Odom. And we're going to close this out. We did not, wasn't able to receive your calls this evening, 
But we're going to have Brother Yumi back on again and moving forward, and we're going to discuss, because there's so much more that needs to be discussed um, with you, Brother Yumi, about the work that you do. We just tapped it, and this was just my introduction um, to the listening audience on the flip side to know that there is an actual diamond in the rough right here in Philadelphia. And um, this is what the flip side is about, basically getting the word out, making everyone aware that there are other people out here doing the work, and we need to connect with one another. And, and if we connect with one another, I think that we can make a huge impact. If it stops being on a I thing and come together on a we, which is what you do, Brother Yumi, this is why I'm impressed with you, and then we will have longevity, and with longevity, we will have greater and longevity impacts in our community. Brother Yumi, before we let you go, we have like three minutes. Is there anything else that you would like to say to us, um, what is on your heart in these next few minutes? Well, I want to just thank you and your junior hosts who are asleep at this point, I hope. <laughs> yeah, and thank you for now. inviting me on to the show. Thank you. It was a pleasure to have you. We're very excited to have you on on the show. We, They were trying to think of questions to ask you because education is really their piece because this is what how grandmom has raised them. Um, and they were so excited about it, and they just wanted to absorb because their goal was really to achieve. And what's so special about these two young men, they have been through adversities, young boys, they have been through adversities in their lives as well. And they're only 10 and 11 so I really think that they're doing a phenomenal job um, of trying to stay on the right path and taking the things that they hear and absorb from young men such as yourself, from men such as yourself. It really um, makes them reach higher than they would normally reach for. And so to you, Brother Yumi, I thank you for that, for being a good example even now today on the flip side for my grandsons and me as a grandmother who's raising these boys with no mother and father um, in their life. I am grateful to you, and I'm grateful to all the listeners that you hear supporting them in their efforts of trying to stay on the right path um, because there's so much temptation, depression, and all that that can creep in their life by being in the situation that they're in. So people like you help me to... Uh, to help my grandsons make it through these trying times in their life. So I commend you on that, and I thank you, Brother Yumi. Yes, thank you. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, Jacqueline Taylor Adams, we want to thank you as well. I want to thank yes. um, Zayn and Abdul for being the co-host. This is their show, ladies and gentlemen. It is the flip side where our young men have the mic. They speak to us, and we as adults, we listen. And we want to invite you again to tune in to the flip side. We will be sending out information on the next show. And once again, if you want to contact Brother Yumi, you can reach him at area code 908-334-1793. That's 908-334-1793. And if you have feedback for the young men, I please ask that you would send it to J-A-L-J-A-B-B at AOL.com. And we're going to close this with a shout-out to Sparkle from UGC. We want to send our condolences to her and for the loss of her husband. We want to send condolences to Rodney Denny, 
for the loss of his brother, and of course, in remembrance of my mother-in-law, Miss Dorothy Sanders. I want to thank you all for tuning in to the flip side. Until next time, please have a productive, prosperous, and let's get out and try to help our young people and rebuild our community. We can't wait for others to do it for us. We have to get up and we have to do it ourselves. Thank you, and we're out. God bless. Jacqueline Taylor Adams, my favorite song. Thank you, because I thank God for all the wonderful things he has done for me. Jacqueline Taylor Adams, can you please take it away with Thank You by Liberty Gospel Group. Yes, ma'am.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.